Welcome to church today. Thank you for uh, inviting me and uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. Now, the blunt use of these lockdowns to supposedly control the COVID contagion is still ongoing. And in many parts of the world, it's starting again. And these lockdowns had me thinking of a certain person who also had to experience a lockdown, lockdown at home for salvation. And thus I decided to look into Rahab's story. This person was Rahab. She had to lock down at home. Now, in the Bible, there are only eight mentions of Rahab's name. Five in the Old Testament, in Joshua chapters 2 and 6, and then three in the New Testament. So it should be a short sermon, right? Uh, don't don't uh, take too much hope just yet. We're going to have to read both chapters in Joshua. So why don't you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 and leave your Bibles open at Joshua chapter 2 so that you can follow along as we read. So Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, the first thing we learn of Rahab is that she was, she was a harlot. Now, this is often a cause of discomfort for some, and they try to soften the tone and say, oh, no, 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 they meant innkeeper. But we find her consistently identified as a harlot in the Bible. Uh, in fact, of the eight mentions of Rahab by name, Five of those include the word harlot as well. So it seems very deliberate to uh, convince us that Rahab was indeed a harlot. Even if you look at the original uh, Hebrew expression used in the Old Testament here in uh, Joshua 2 verse 1, it is very specific. It, it uses a Hebrew word for feminine adultery. And uh, it gets even worse when you get to the New Testament, uh, this word uh, where it says Rahab the harlot that word for harlot is actually translated from the Greek word porne. And when it comes to this word, it's probably a case of the less said the better. But uh, I do hope that it has done two things. One, it has recaptured the attention of those whose minds are already drifting. But uh, also that it seems the Bible is very clear. Rahab was indeed a harlot. Now with that settled... I am then further challenged by the report that the Israelite spies went into a harlot's house for lodging. Now, uh, here I implore the congregation to recognize that this was under aggravating circumstance. This is not solid text for establishing doctrine on whether such premises are permissible, my dear brethren. As it relates to lessons on morality... Rahab will challenge us a few times, but I just want to say these gentlemen were in very unique and trying circumstances, and they therefore lodged at the house of Rahab the harlot. So with that discomfort dealt with, let's continue in verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in here tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. So the king is alerted to the spies that are residing at Rahab's house. 
And the king demands that Rahab hands them over. And verse 4 to 7, And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them, the way to Jordan unto the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. So Rahab lies to the king's men. And as I said, this story involves a few morally compromised situations. And therefore, this also would not be a safe passage from which to establish doctrine in regards to honesty. Let's just say Rahab has realized that Israel has a powerful God. But this realization alone does not immediately fully inform Rahab as to practicing perfect moral conduct. This is an important lesson for us as church members. We must consider this when dealing with imperfect but sincere pre-converts. They want to believe. They will convert and believe. They will repent. But they aren't immediately at the required level of spiritual maturity and understanding. And therefore some of their actions may challenge us. And we should deal with them in a reassuring and encouraging manner. Now, after deliberately misdirecting the king's men, Rahab goes to the spies and reveals that she is aware of all that God has done for Israel. And she delivers her statement of faith. Verses 9 to 11. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites uh, that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly did destroy. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any courage any more within us because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and in earth beneath a beautiful statement of faith from this Canaanite harlot woman and given her faith-based conviction that Israel will prevail by the power of the Lord she desires mercy for her and next we will read for her family also once Jericho ultimately succumbs to the Israelites which she already knows will happen congregation yes some people are scared into the faith Right? The gospel message is both an invitation and a warning. Some people respond to the invitation, come unto me. Other people respond to that warning, that caution. And they want to escape punishment and judgment. We should be ready to receive them regardless that original motivation. Now continuing in verses 12 and 13. Rahab speaking, she says, Now therefore I pray you, Swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. 
and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they that they have and deliver our lives from death. Rahab is not only concerned with her own safety, she has a desire to see her family saved as well. Verses 15 and 16. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. We read earlier of the flax under which Rahab had hid the spies. And now we note the rope, which is later mentioned as being a scarlet cord. Rahab was diversified in her business ventures. She seems to have also processed flax fibers and dyed ropes for additional income. She was an industrious woman. We actually read of such a woman as the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. And I will just quote the direct parallels. Proverbs 31 verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Verse 19, she layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. And then in verse 21, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Rahab was an industrious good woman. She was unfortunately born into a perverted culture. But she is ready to convert and be saved. And this should be a caution to us as well. Some people really do not know any better. But if they did, they would be wonderful, wonderful converts to Christianity. Now in verse 18, the spies say to Rahab, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will quit of thine oath which thou hast made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. It's important to note, as soon as Rahab is informed of the method of salvation, she immediately starts practicing. She didn't say, okay, uh, we'll wait. Uh, when we feel the time is right, you know what, then, then we'll tie the rope to the window frame. Uh, no, she immediately tied that cord to the window, thereby expressing her faith in the promise given by the spies Immediately. This is important for us to note. The need to act on and express the convictions of our growing faith immediately and not to procrastinate away the impressions of the Holy Spirit. It is also interesting to note the parallel of the two spies, the two spies coming to spy out the land. You also find this in Genesis 19. When God sends his two angels to spy out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which preceded the Lord's executive judgment on those sinful cities. We see also in Revelation 11, 
mention of the two witnesses preceding God's judgment of the earth in the end times. Now, I don't have the time to unpack it here today, but who are the two witnesses of Revelation 11? They are Moses and Elijah. They are the law and the prophets. They are the two-edged sword of the Lord, which is the Word of God, the Bible. They are the two witnesses. And you know what? Just as Rahab hid the two spies, so too we are to hide the two witnesses. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We are to hide those two witnesses in our heart. Now we are done with Joshua chapter 2, and we will now page to Joshua chapter 6. Please page your Bibles, those following along, to Joshua chapter 6, because this is where the Lord now commands Israel to take the city. Joshua chapter 6 verse 3, Israel, ye shall compass the city, this is the Lord speaking, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus thou shalt do for six days. Then in verse 4, The seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of seven rams, or, sorry, seven trumpets of rams' horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. So for six days, compass the city once, and you've got seven trumpets. But on the seventh day, you compass the city seven times. Now Israel were to march around the city of Jericho once daily for a period of six days, all the men of war with seven priests who are bearing seven trumpets before the ark. Now note, Revelation 8 mentions seven trumpets heralding God's judgment and destruction of the earth. Could it be that the actual experience of Rahab and the spies is also a prophetic type of the end-time destruction of this earth. There were six days on which Jericho was compassed only once. But then the seventh day, Israel were to compass Jericho seven times. They were to blow the trumpets, the city's walls would fall, and Israel were to march in and take the city. Joshua uh, 6 verse 12, Joshua rose early in the morning, the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Now Joshua, in Hebrew is Jehoshua. It means Jehovah saved. Jesus in Greek is Jesus, which is the Greek version of Joshua. So Joshua is a symbol of Jesus in this chapter 6. As Joshua brings judgment on Jericho, so too Jesus will bring judgment in the last days. Continuing in verse 13. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually. And they blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, but the rearward come after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp, so they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. Now... For those good with math, in the worst case scenario, the seventh day of marching and taking the city would be on the Sabbath day. In a lesser scenario, there was a Sabbath day occurring on one of the six days where they were marching around Jericho, right? So immediately people may be tempted to suggest that there's tension between the act commanded by God 
and the Sabbath commandment. But the question for us, do we as believers today, do we march in the army of God? Do we march in the name of the Lord? Do we march on all weekdays, including the Sabbath? Note, not exclusively on the Sabbath, but all weekdays. Also not excusing us from active worship and witness and service in our communities, even on the Sabbath. Now, we can see in Joshua chapter 6, verse 16, that it has now come to pass at the seventh time. When it's the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Now what preceded the destruction of Jericho, which was simultaneously also the saving of Rahab's house? What preceded it? It's there in the first verse, in verse 16. Shout, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. What preceded that destruction? A shout. Now we read of this shout in the prophecy of 1 Thessalonians 4.16 where the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we can see here again the parallels between what happened with Jericho and an end time message. Now notice how everything was to be destroyed. It was accursed. All but Rahab and her house. Here we have rich prophetic parallelism. <clears throat> we will go to the Genesis flood. Uh, we see here uh, with the Genesis flood that everything was destroyed. Everything except those in the ark. And so too, everything was destroyed except those in Rahab's house. And in Revelation we read that everyone in this world will be destroyed except for those in Revelation 7.14 which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Can we see these parallels between Rahab and the judgment of Jericho and the end time judgment of this world? With Noah's flood, there was a physical vessel to save the Lord's faithful people, the ark. With the fall of Jericho, there was a physical structure to collect and protect the Lord's faithful people, Rahab's house. In Revelation, there is also such a vessel. A structure to save the Lord's faithful people, the church of Revelation 12, symbolized by a pure woman. The red cord tied to Rahab's window reminds us of the Passover, where the lamb's blood was applied to the doorframe when still in Egypt. It was a visible sign of the faith of the persons occupying that house. The question for us today are we in Rahab's house? Are we in a house where the red cord is tied to the window? Are we in a house where the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorframe? Is your personal house such a house? While you have had much time to spend at home during this lockdown, the question is, did you secure the salvation of your house? Did you apply the blood of the lamb to your doorframe? Did you tie the red cord of salvation to your window frame at your personal house? 
there where you are. Brothers and sisters, are we making use of this time now to secure the salvation of our homes and our loved ones? And if not now, when? I mean, what greater disaster are we waiting for before we wake up and experience an urgency to be saved? Let us consider, those who were saved were saved by remaining in Rahab's house. It probably was as uncomfortable as it was for you in recent history to be locked down in your own house. There was discomfort, there was inconvenience, there was fear, but you know what? They persevered in the house of Rahab. In the ark too, it was uncomfortable, it was smelly, it was crowded, but Noah and his family persevered in that ark. And so too will be the end times. We must persevere in the church. Despite the discomfort, inconvenience, and frustrations that you experience with a church family, at the end of the day, you must endure in that vessel of the Lord's chosen for salvation. Now, Rahab, Rahab being referred to as a harlot, she's an imperfect symbol for the church. But this is very important. Follow now. Rahab was initially a harlot. Then she became a believer and she saved her family and she was faithful thereafter. And do you think that Rahab continued to be a harlot? No. She ceased her harlotry. And you know what? Despite these unsavory history of Rahab, it actually becomes a powerful symbol of the power of Christ's blood, which cleansed the former harlot and made her appear woman. Despite her past, Rahab becomes a symbol of God's redeemed imperfect people who are washed in the blood of the perfect sacrifice to ultimately stand before God as a pure woman without blemish. Yes, the kingdom of God is filled with former harlots. As Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 21 verse 31, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. But you know what? There's another harlot in the Bible. The harlot of Revelation. This is a harlot who persists in harlotry with her harlot daughters. We read in Revelation 17 verse 4, 5 and 6. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and having decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This harlot of Revelation remains a harlot to the end. This unrepentant harlot is symbolized by Jericho, the unrepentant city. Joshua 6, we'll continue verses 20 to 25. So the people of Israel shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell flat down, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, everything with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, 
Go into the harlot's house, and bring out this woman, and all that she hath, as, she, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had, and they brought them out, uh, all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only silver and gold, and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwelled in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. Now, first point, Jericho fell. And this parallels again with the end-time prophecy of Revelation 18.2, that Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And Jericho's walls fell due to an earthquake, and there will be a great earthquake. Revelation 16.18, there was a great earthquake such as was not since the men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Jericho was destroyed with fire, as will be the case for this sinful earth mentioned in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Jericho is a symbol of the fallen, unrepentant, sinful world at the end of times. It's also called Babylon in the book of Revelation. Jericho is our type for the end time state of this world. Now Rahab was saved by her faithfulness. It's told as in the faith chapter, our scripture reading for today, Hebrews 11.31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And we are reminded that true faith is evident by works. James 2 verse 25 and 26 Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Rahab the harlot is a hero of faith. Rahab the harlot's faith produced good works as evidence of her faith. This should be a message of encouragement and instruction to all of us. We may have terrible backgrounds. We may have wrestled with terrible sin, but the Lord will wash us clean. The Lord will cleanse even a harlot if we believe, if we are faithful, if we act in faith and lay hold of that promise of salvation. But Rahab was not saved for merely professing that she believed. True faith yields works of obedience. True faith is a faith that works. Now to conclude... I'm struggling a bit here with the screen. The final mention of Rahab, which we have not yet reflected on, is found in Jesus' genealogy as provided in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Rahab. Rahab was the mother of Boaz. Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David, and ultimately Jesus Christ himself was born from that line, the royal line of Judah. 
Rahab is a hero of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. She's a Canaanite. She's a non-Jew. She's a harlot. But Rahab is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. Rahab. This is the evidence that Rahab ceased to be a harlot. She married Salmon. She was the mother of Boaz. Boaz who married Ruth. And how great is the power of Christ's forgiveness and restoration to take this harlot woman and to make her a part of the royal lineage, which ultimately leads to the birth of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, is this not a message of encouragement for all of us? Jesus will truly accept anyone. He will accept anyone, yes, anyone who wants to be saved from their sin. Saved from their sin, not saved in their sin. Do you understand the difference? Can I be saved from drowning? Yes. Can I be saved in drowning? No, you're still drowning. That's the same when it comes to sin. You can be saved from sin, but you cannot be saved in sin. Like Rahab went from being a harlot in sin, she was saved and she ceased to be a harlot. So too we are sinners until we are saved and we cease sinning. Deliberate sin, brothers and sisters, deliberate sin does not fit with salvation. And that sounds very hard. That sounds so hard. But Rahab could do it. Stop with deliberate sin. Before you lose hope, when you hear this caution, remember there was hope for Rahab. And there's hope for us. And Rahab is evidence that the advice given in Acts 16 is reliable, good advice. Acts 16 verse 30. What must I do to be saved? And Acts 16 verse 31 gives us the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Believe. And that believe should be true faith that yields works. Works that correlate with your faith. Rahab went from the hall of shame, a harlot, to the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11. Why? Because she believed a real faith, a faith that produced good works. Choose to believe, really believe, a true faith, a faith that will be evidenced by works that reveal that faith. Now, how many of us will join Rahab in making that transition? In summary, Rahab has taught us, your past does not determine your future. Your culture does not determine your convictions. Your gender does not limit your value or your impact. Your faith is your choice. And your influence can save your family. Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that despite the, the unworthy instrument chosen to speak today, that the message was still clear, Lord. Despite the trying circumstances, Lord, that people will recognize that this message rings true throughout the ages. But now, right now, we're experiencing greater urgency, and we need to be responding to this message. Lord Jesus, the message is, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your house. Lord, I just pray that your people listening today will listen to that message. There's a big question and there's a clear answer. And I am just pleading that your people will listen to that answer, will receive it in their hearts and will act upon it. 
Lord, with true faith and follow through with conviction to clean up their act, to show works that correlate with the true faith. Lord, that we can ignite a powerful church that will stand during the end times and will truly be an ark for the people of this world who need to be saved, Lord. That it will be a vessel of salvation, that we can collect souls for eternity. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.